This morning, I'm going to be preaching about the story of Jonah. Um, I personally hadn't really read and studied the book for quite a long time. I think if you've grown up in the church, you're probably pretty familiar with the, the story as a whole. Um, but when I was reading through it about a month ago, I found that as I read through it, it really related to the everyday Christian walk and what we read in the New Testament. Um, it jumped out at me. And so I'd like to share a bit about what I discovered with you this morning. And what I discovered was that the story of Jonah is one that's extremely challenging. It's also comforting. But most of all, I think it's a really a life-changing story. So before we start reading, though, I think there's a few pieces of information that are helpful as we look at the passage. Uh, firstly, it's good to know Jonah was recorded outside of the book of Jonah. Um, he was a prophet during the reign of jo- Jeroboam II, who reigned in Israel between 782 and 753 BC. And the book is quite personal and detailed, which I think it points to Jonah's own story being the historical foundation for the text. But despite being a historical text, it's actually written as a satire, uh, which we'll take a look at that aspect as we look. But yeah, I never knew that. It's actually a satire, so I think it's, it's interesting. So we're going to see that a little bit together. I'm not going to go through the entire book. Uh, there's a few pieces we're going to skip over just for the purposes of time. But we're going to start our reading this morning at Jonah chapter 1, verse 1. I'll be reading out of the NIV translation. It'll be up on the screen if you uh, aren't following along in your own Bible. So the word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness <clears throat> has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa, where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Now we see that God has selected Jonah, a prophet, and he's given him a very specific task, which is to call for the city of Nineveh to turn from their evil ways and to repent. Now Nineveh, in ancient times, it was famous because it was a center for the worship of Ishtar, who was the goddess of war and sexual love. It was also a provincial capital at the time, and it later became the capital city of Assyria, which was an enemy nation of Israel. So Nineveh represented a dangerous political threat to Israel. The people were very different. Culturally, they were very different. Um, They were powerful. They were an alien nation. But despite being a different people group, God asked Jonah to go and preach to them. And so we have Jonah here. He's a prophet. You could say, in a sense, he's a man of God. He hears directly from God. Before Jesus came, there was many prophets, and and God spoke directly to them. He knew 100% that God was telling him to do this, because he obviously reacted, right? And what was his response? He runs away. So I have a map here of the Middle East, and we can see from Joppa, which is actually the port city for Israel. Um, It was a bit of a hike to get down, or sorry, for Jerusalem. It was a bit of a hike to get from Jerusalem to Joppa, because Joppa's on the coast. Uh, we were actually fortunate enough in April when we went to Israel, we got to see the, the port area. It's not the same port as it was originally, but it's a very old city. Um, and you can see Nineveh is there. It's in modern-day Iraq. It's about 550 miles northeast. And Tarshish. Now, scholars don't actually know where exactly Tarshish is, but it referred to the furthest point west. So often you think of Spain as kind of the furthest point west, kind of the end of the world. So let's put ourselves in Jonah's shoes for a minute. God's asking him to do something, and he obviously really doesn't want to do it. He's boarded 
a boat to go as far away as he can. Um, and he, I guess the question is, can you blame him though? These people that he was called to go to were his enemies. It wasn't just preaching to the granny next door. It was preaching to people that were enemies of Jonah's people. They were evil. They were bad people. They didn't like Jonah. Have you ever been in a situation where God's asked you to do something and you just, you really don't want to do it? You might have some, some reasons that you think are good. Even maybe right now, you maybe feel like God's calling you to do something and maybe you're resisting uh, what he's asking you to do. Uh, there is a story about an old church member and he had a stereotypical phrase that he would use when he was praying and he would say, Oh Lord, touch the unsaved with your finger. Now, one day as he was stating this particular phrase in church, he paused. He said, Oh Lords, touch the unsaved. He just stopped and people said, are you, are you okay? Is something wrong? Are you ill? And he said, no, but something seemed to say to me, you are the finger. What is this man? What is he realizing? He's been praying for the salvation of other people and he's now realizes he's been called to take part in it. And many of you are here this morning because you've received the gospel message, the message that brings healing, restoration, it brings hope, fulfillment. It literally brings life. Um, others of you might be here this morning and you're not believers, but perhaps you realize there's something unique about the message that we've been talking about. And we'll talk about it more as we go on this morning. In Matthew 28, Jesus tells us, he says, Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. And so if we think about it, I think Toronto is a big worldly city. In some ways, it's kind of like Nineveh. And I think we've been called to make disciples here. In Psalm 105, we read, Give praise to the Lord. Proclaim his name. Make known among the nations what he has done. And so I think if we believe scripture here, if we believe this is the word of God, we can see we've been given the same mission that Jonah has. And so the question this morning is, are you sharing your faith with your family, your friends, your colleagues, the people you meet? And I think this has to be driven by a celebration of what God has done for us. And what has he done in your life? What has he done in your life? Have you been sharing that with other people? Let this be a reminder that if you're not, in some ways we're acting like Jonah, we're running away when we've been called to do something. Now, that doesn't mean it's easy, because it's not. It's not always easy. Um, if we think about Jonah, like we could say, it's not our skill set, you know, I'm not called to be an expert evangelist. And we think about Jonah and what he was maybe thinking. He was saying, this is a long, long, dangerous journey. What are people going to think of me? What are they going to say? They don't, they don't like people like me. I could be killed. These are my enemies. He had lots of good excuses. He had lots of good excuses. But I don't think we need to be expert evangelists. All we need to do is show God's love to people and be willing to share our own story, explaining what Christ has done for us. And so I think when God asks something of us, we can either listen and obey or we can run away like Jonah did. And this is the first challenge when I was reading this morning, is that uh, we've been given the same mission, and it's a challenge to us. We're going to pick up the story at verse 4, and we're going to continue reading. Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. All the sailors were afraid, and each cried out to his own God. And they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. Then the sailors said to each other, Come, let us cast lots to find out who is responsible for this calamity. They cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. So they asked him, Tell us, who is responsible for making all this trouble for us? What kind of work do you do? Where do you come from? What is your country? From what people are you? 
A lot of questions. He answered, I am a Hebrew and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. The sea was getting rougher and rougher. So they asked him, what should we do to you to make the sea come down for us? Pit me up and throw me into the sea, he replied, and it will become calm. I know that it is my fault that the great storm has come upon you. Now the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. From inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God. He said, in my distress, I called to the Lord, and he answered me. From deep in the realm of the dead, I called for help, and you listened to my cry. What I vowed, I will make good. I will say, salvation comes from the Lord. And the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. So we can see in reading here that Jonah, he tried to go his own way, but it did not work out the way he hoped. He didn't make it to Spain. Beautiful country. I don't know what it was like exactly back then, but today it's really nice. Disaster struck. There was a massive storm. And even in the midst of this, he explains that he worships the Lord who made the sea and the dry land. And the word that's translated from Hebrew as worship can also be translated as the word fear. And if you have, uh, if you look at the ESV translation, it says fear the Lord, meaning respect for the Lord, respect of God. He says he fears the Lord who made the sea, which was raging in the midst of the storm. Now, how ironic is it that he claims to fear the Lord, but he's running away from him in disobedience? Does he really fear the Lord? Now, this is, this is a satire, let's remember, okay? Um, so I, here's a question as we look at this. Is it possible to claim to be a Christian even when we're running away from God? How about in our own lives? I think from Jonah's stories, we can see that even when we make the wrong choices, God still pursues us. But these wrong choices can and do bring consequences. Sometimes God does send us storms or he lets us fall into them. If we're following Christ, our sin has been forgiven, but this does not mean we're not disciplined. We read in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 6, For the Lord disciplines those whom he loves and chastises every child whom he accepts. So, But sometimes storms, they don't arise due to discipline for, or consequence for our behavior. They might just arise from us living in a fallen world. But either way, I was comforted when I was reading the story of Jonah, because we read in his prayer, he says, In my distress, I called to the Lord, and he answered me. From deep in the realm of the dead, I called for help, and you listened to my cry. And so I think we can, we can see here, no matter what life circumstances bring, we can call to the Lord, and he will hear our cry. And he used a storm to bring Jonah back to himself. Sorry, I lost my, uh, my spot here. Ah, he used a storm to bring Jonah back to himself. Where best can we go in a storm but to the Father in heaven, who because he loves us, he promises to be there for us no matter what. In Romans 8, we read, and we know that all things work together for good for those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. And so even in the midst of Jonah's rebellion against God, God still had a plan for him. He still wanted to use him, despite him being disobedient and running away from God's ask of him. And what I've seen in my own life is that like Jonah, I can't live perfectly. I can't follow God perfectly. But he still promises to work together for my good, to be there for me. And he forces me to trust him in the midst of everything. And so I think no matter what you're going through this morning, whether it's a storm that's a result of your own wrong decision making, or maybe just due to life circumstances because we live in a fallen, messed up world, God has promised to make it work together for our good if we're trusting and we're loving him and following him. 
Um, and it may not be immediately. It may not be evident to us here in our short life, but he does promise ultimate healing and restoration and eternal life with him. And he might use a storm to bring us closer to him. And so my second point this morning is this. God wants to use us no matter where we're at or what we've done. He used Jonah despite his rebellion, and he'll use us no matter what we've done. If we're struggling to share the message of his love and reconciliation, or if we're running completely away from him like Jonah was, um, he will use us, and he will meet us where we're at. And ultimately, it's not about us. It's about him and his story, and we're doing it all for his glory. So it's not about us. We're going to continue reading together chapter 3. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. Now Nineveh was a very large city. It took three days to go through it. Jonah began by going a day's journey into the city proclaiming, Forty more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. When Jonah's warning reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne. He took off his royal robes. He covered himself with sackcloth and sat down in the dust. This is a proclamation he issued in Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, do not let people or animals, herds or flocks, taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink. But let people and animals be covered with sackcloth. Let everyone call urgently on God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. Who knows? God may relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented and he did not bring on them the destruction he had threatened. But to Jonah, this seemed very wrong, and he became angry. He prayed to the Lord, Isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? That is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. But the Lord replied, Is it right for you to be angry? Jonah had gone out and sat down at a place east of the city. There he made himself a shelter, sat in its shade, and waited to see what would happen to the city. Then the Lord God provided a leafy plant and made it grow up over Jonah to give shade for his head to ease his discomfort. And Jonah was very happy about the plant. But at dawn the next day, God provided a worm, which chewed the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind, and the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. He wanted to die and said, It would be better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, Is it right for you to be angry about the plant? It is, he said. And I'm so angry, I wish I were dead. The Lord said, You have been concerned about this plant, though you did not tend it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and died overnight. And should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh, in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left, and also many animals? So we can see here that Jonah does actually go and preach. And surprisingly enough, the people repent, including the king. Even the animals. Even the animals fast. Remember I said this is a satire, right? So Jonah should be celebrating, right? should be celebrating that people have turned from their evil ways. But no, he even after being rescued by God, by going and preaching to the Ninevites, and seeing them change, he's still bitter. How, how can someone encounter God so personally yet still struggle to do the right thing? He was angry that the people were saved and that God was merciful. Just taking a look at his response again, he said, to Jonah this seemed very wrong and he became angry. He prayed to the Lord, isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? That is what I tried to forestall. He goes on to say, 
take away my life, or it's better for me to die than to live. Where does that attitude come from? I think it comes from a self-righteous heart. He doesn't understand that he's sinful. He's just like the Ninevites. He might not be worshiping the same God that the Ninevites are are worshiping, but he's proven to be very disobedient, right? Um, Just like him, we can see that he has a bitter heart. He has a bitter heart. He's bitter about God's mercy. God says, should I not have great concern for the great city of Nineveh, in which there are more than 120,000 people? And I think God, he, he was concerned for Nineveh, and for us, he's concerned about Toronto. He's concerned about this city we live in. And I think in our own lives, you know, very often we can show a lot of love to people that are like ourselves, maybe our family or our friends, uh, people in the same socioeconomic group as us. But what about those people from groups that we disagree with, maybe ideologically or with their religious beliefs or their non-religious beliefs? One of the most radical commands of Jesus was us, for us to love our enemies, just like it was for Jonah. Um, and it's, but it's incredibly hard to do in practice. And on an individual level, what about just the people we meet in life that are simply nasty towards us? We could be like Jonah and just wish that they reap disaster. We may even have relatives who are unpleasant. A lot of us can probably relate to that. Um, but perhaps we should try to win them over with love. We can show love to them. Um, and people we encounter during the day that are rude. Perhaps we can repay evil with good as a reflection of God's love and hope that in some way God will use this to bring them towards salvation. And so in my own life, I think, how often do I maybe doubt God or get upset or not fully trust him or complain about life circumstances like Jonah? And what I've seen in my own life is that it's come to me, it's come from a lack of understanding about God's love and not understanding that I don't deserve the grace that's been given to me. The famous evangelist Billy Graham was driving through a small southern southern town, and he was stopped by a policeman and charged with speeding. Graham admitted his guilt, but he was told by the officer that he would have to appear in court. The judge asked him, are you guilty or not guilty? When Graham pleaded guilty, the judge replied, that'll be $10, a dollar for every... Uh, mile, you went over the speed limit. Now, as the judge was saying this to Billy Graham, he realized who Billy Graham was, and he said, you have violated the law, but and that fine must be paid, but I'm going to pay it for you. He took a $10 bill from his own wallet, and he stapled it to the fine, and then after that, he took Billy Graham out, and he bought him a steak dinner. There's going to be a picture up here. We're getting close to lunch. Hopefully, this doesn't make you hungry. Actually, after I showed this to Claire, she was like, my birthday's coming up, and I want to go to the keg. So it did start, did start something. <laughs> but the man bought Billy Graham a steak dinner, even though he didn't deserve it. And I think in our own lives, if we look at how we've acted, I think we can see that we've been disobedient. We've done evil in God's sight. We've complained. Even if we're Christians, we don't always do the right thing. We don't always make the right choice. Um, and just like Billy Graham was deserving of a fine for going over the speed limit, we deserve a fine for the things that we've done wrong. And God, what is God's fine? God's fine is his, his wrath because he's perfect and he's holy and he hates sin and he hates all of our wrongdoing. And so when I was thinking about that, I was thinking, you know what? In this story, we're not just like Jonah. We're also like the Ninevites. We're like, we're like kind of like both characters. We've been asked to share God's, God's love, but we're like the Ninevites in that we've done wrong. But, God had compassion on us like he had on the Ninevites. And he sent us someone better than Jonah 
He sent us a perfect Jonah. He sent him us himself. He came down here directly. And this is the part of the story I think that's life-changing for me. This isn't just a, a story about a prophet and some evil, evil people. In some ways, it's a story about ourselves. Jesus, he was in heaven. He was in perfect unity with the Father. He was surrounded by angels. He was in a perfect place. And when God said to him, go and save an evil people, he said yes. He didn't say no and run away. And Christ came. He showed us the way to life. He was non-complaining. He was the perfect Jonah. And he did more than just proclaim a message of repentance to us. He also lived the life that we are called to, but he did it for us. Unlike Jonah, he sacrificed his life to save others, and he took the death that we deserved. He didn't complain about it so that we can have life, complete life in abundance. And he, he paid the fine, just like the judge paid the fine for Billy Graham, he paid the fine for us. We're forgiven. We're forgiven of what we've done if we choose to trust him. Uh, and better than that, he adopts us as sons and daughters into his family, and his spirit fills us. We're joined with Christ and we're given eternal life. And for me, this is like, sounds a bit sacrilegious, but this is the steak dinner. He didn't just pay the fine. He gives us so much more than that. And this is what I think is life-changing when we think about it. It's life-changing. Because we can't be the perfect Jonah like Jesus was. We've been called to be like Jonah, to share the good news that we've received and to make disciples. And he's given us the spirit, his spirit so that we're empowered to do that. But he's the one that changes people's hearts. We're not the one that is called to change people's hearts. That's for God to do. We're merely his instruments. Uh, and we need his power to, to, to share the news with other people. Um, he took the punishment for our inability to serve him, and we can rest in that as we serve him. And I think something that really touched me is when we think about it, it was his love for us that motivated him to come down here and do this for us. And it's the same... Whether or not we witness for other people is dependent on if we have the same love in our hearts for them, right? If we don't have love for other people, then we're not going to be motivated to share the good news. And God's power is not just for us, it's for everyone. Cities like Toronto that we're in, they need Jesus. People are struggling with sin, we are struggling with sin, but everyone else is as well. People struggle with greed, lust, jealousy, and there's people that struggle with even more serious sins. There's murderers in Toronto that need help, but every single one of us has missed the mark. Uh, but Jesus paid the punishment for all, everyone that chooses to believe. And he's given us reconciliation. He's given us salvation. He's given us peace. And he's given us new life. And so I think when we look at this story, you know, the people of Nineveh, they were, I'm sure, looking for fulfillment in the wrong place, worshiping these gods that were not the, the one true God. Um, they were worshiping false idols. And I think for us, when we look at this, like the Ninevites, what false idols might there be in our lives? Do we prioritize career? Do we prioritize family? Do we prioritize financial security ahead of serving God? These aren't bad things in and of themselves, but if we put them in place of God or above God, um, it's wrong. Uh, and they can't fulfill us the way that serving Christ can. Jesus Christ, he's the one that came to fulfill our deepest needs. And part of that is giving our life a real eternity-affecting purpose. So this morning, we've looked at three aspects of the Jonah story. I think the first is challenging. It was very challenging for me that, like Jonah, we've all been called to share the good news. But what else have we been called to beyond just sharing the good news? Um, how We talked about loving our enemies. Do we put people ahead of ourselves all the time? Do I ever not act when I know that God's really calling me to bless someone? 
Jesus says that our love for one another is how people will know that we're his disciples. And how, what else does he call us to? How about turning from sin in our lives? Uh, perhaps there is sin in your life this morning, and you know that God is saying to you, repent, turn from your sin and come to me. And this could be anything. This could be a wrong attitude. It could be jealousy. It could be unforgiveness. Uh, or you could be struggling with a sexual sin like pornography. And you might be here this morning, you may not be a Christian, and you may be saying, I don't really know about any of these things, but you might realize that you're not living the way that you should. You might feel an emptiness, you might lack fulfillment in your life, and you're beginning to hear the call of God's voice, maybe not audibly like Jonah was, but you can hear it in your spirit. And God is having loving compassion on us today, just like he did with Nineveh. He's saying, come, follow me, be in a relationship with me and have eternal life. He's saying, I will give you everything you need, everything you're looking for. And the question for us is, are we going to turn from living for ourselves? And many of us have. Um, or are you going to live for me? And this is the question with eternal consequences. And so I think the second thing we looked at is God's desire to use us despite our failings. We can come to him no matter what we've done. He has a plan for us. And for those who love him, he will work everything out for our good. And lastly, for me, we looked at the real life-changing part of the story. And this is realizing that we're not simply observers to the story of Jonah. In a sense, we're both Jonah, we are being called by God, uh, but we're also the Ninevites. We're people that have done evil, we've not put God first, and we've been called by to repentance by the perfect Jonah, Jesus Christ. And his love for us led him to come and die in our place to take the punishment that we deserved so that we can uh, be reconciled with him. And the barrier of sin and wrongdoing now no longer separates us from him. And I think that this part of the story is very life-changing, and it demands a response from us. And so let's look at the end of the story as we close. What is God's response to Jonah's bitterness and attitude? What does he do? He engages with Jonah, and he looks for a response from Jonah. He says, And should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh, in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left, and also many animals? So we don't see Jonah's response to this story, so let's put ourselves in Jonah's place here. What's what's our response going to be? We can fill in the end of the story, and I think that's a challenge to us this morning. God's asking us for our 100% commitment. He's asking us to serve him and to turn away from our sin and to share the good news with those around us. And let's think about that as we pray together. Lord, uh, thank you for giving us the story of Jonah and all the things that we can learn from it. We just want to pray that you'll work on our hearts. If we're struggling with sharing the good news with other people, that you'll work on our hearts. If we're running away from you, that you'll work, you'll work on us and bring us back to you. And we want to thank you that even if we run away like Jonah did and we end up far away from you facing the consequences, you're still there for us. And we can call back to you, and, and you, you still love us, and you'll bring us to yourself. And so we just want to pray that we'll all take something away this morning, and that we'll, we'll turn from what, if we need to turn from something, and we'll continue to be focused on you as we go about our week, and that we'll be sensitive to those people around us that need to see and feel your love and to hear about your good news. Amen.